You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Okay. We're in part two of this series. Someone said, what's it called? And I didn't have a name for it. So it's called the Sermon in Three Parts. Because <laughs> <laughs> today we're going to discuss the Trinity. And uh, obviously the Trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, as we covered last week, um, one thing that was important, you can never separate your worship from your growth in knowledge uh, of God, and which is growth in knowledge is theology. And so we're certainly coming to learn that some of the, uh, we're coming to learn that the doctrine of the Trinity is really something that's more to be adored almost than it is to be learned. That our experience in our in our worship and our in things opens up for us so many more things that we then go back to the Bible to confirm. And we always are in that 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 mo- mo- place of, of uh, worship, giving us revelation, which gives us understanding of the more about God. I mean, the Holy Spirit really has been pouring out about the Trinity on me. I don't know why he's gone crazy with this, but maybe he figured I needed it. Um, have you ever seen one of those pictures that you stare at it for a while and you keep staring at it and then it flips into something else? That's kind of what God has done with me as I've been studying the Trinity from my original perspective into what I'm now seeing now. And so, and once that happens, have you noticed you have trouble going back to the other picture? Because all you see is the new one. That's kind of where I am. Even the phrase, three persons in one God has been flipped. One God, three persons. And he's making me look at the Trinity differently than I did before. Um, It took a lot of prayer and worship, all those steps. And then I go into the Bible and I read and go, oh my, I've, I've never seen all this before. As we spend quiet time and you just ponder, Jesus, what's going on? The Father, who are you? The Holy Spirit can't wait to reveal that to us. And so sometimes it's a little bit of me and I'm right now, eh, it's not matching up with anything. Oh well. But most of the time, it's always right on. So, okay. I, I'm just wanting you to know that it takes supernatural understanding to move into an area of the Trinity, but it's always a mystery. If you say, I've got the Trinity all figured out, there's probably a problem. What you've done is you've taken your model of God, put it into your context, and you've made an idol. Because that's what an idol is. It's a man-made God. And so be very careful. As a matter of fact, enjoy the mystery. Be joyful in walking in mystery. Because then you sit there and contemplate the mystery and it, it, it shouldn't confuse you, it shouldn't frustrate you. What it should do is allow the Holy Spirit to start pressing into you more questions. And he wants you to ask questions. Because he wants you to know more about him in a relational context. I want to know more about my wife every day. You want to know about your friends, your spouses every day. And you find new things every day. There's something new about every one of us that, we've, that we haven't ever fully revealed. So 
This is part of relationship. And so he, he wants to do that. So don't ever go, well, I'm not supposed to know this, so the heck with it. And you know what? There are a lot of people I know that do that. They go, it's just too frustrating. I'm not, I'm not going to fool with it. But God wants you to be really questioning these things. And I personally don't believe there's any doctrine, and especially now, that's more fundamental or, or essential than this doctrine of three persons, one God. I don't think there's anything more fundamental. Matter of fact, we can never slip into a dualism that we have one th- picture of God over here, and then we say, oh, and there's three persons, one God. And I personally did that a lot. I, when I heard the word God, I didn't really t- picture God in its entirety. But then I came over here and go, oh, but there's three persons, one God. Yeah, I believe that too. When you say God, you are calling out three persons, one God. And so we got to get away from these. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of abstract attributes of God that based on human logic, and sometimes it's dangerous. So people will give images. They go, "Well, see, the Trinity's like this," and it'll give you an image or a picture that's nothing like the Trinity, because there's nothing on Earth, physical, that matches what the Trinity is. So if we try to make the Trinity into something human-like. We have terribly misinformed ourselves of what the Trinity is. So we've got to be very careful with that. Um, I actually think that the Trinity is the absolute ground of theological knowledge. Um, it governs and controls all of our knowledge of Him. There's not two ways to know God. It's put that way. There's only one Christian way of knowing God. That's through divine revelation as God makes God's self known in His triune self. Either God is known in God's Trinity as we are grasped by the knowledge of God, shared by the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, or God is not truly known at all. And that we're, we're left with that, it's best is our best projection of goodness and values placed on something. It has to be a revelation. And we can't just put our best thoughts and values on something and call it God. The doctrines of Trinity is distinctly what makes Christianity Christian. It's distinctly different. Anything else is mythology. If you start twisting things around and start getting this God over here and this God's over here, you start, you've got, you no longer have one God. Be, we have to be careful. We don't come to God as spectators, but as, to, but as those for whom Christ died, to whom the Father pours out his love and in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. In and through God, we know God as we participate in the saving relationship through, with God through Jesus Christ. It's in the relationship that we get to know God. In the relationship, he reveals more and more. We can't know, we cannot form a doctrine of, of the Trinity abstractly as we might know God through impersonal observation or logical analogies. What am I talking about? I'm talking about you just can't read a book on the theology and have that explain it to you. Most books can explain just about everything. A book can tell you from a seed to a a plant to a flower. It'll give you the entire, but a book cannot reveal the theology to you. Only God can reveal himself. And that's only through our time in him. And I say in him, as Jesus says, I am in you and you are in me. We can only come to know the theology as we're in Christ. Those are all of us here who are born again are in Christ. And so, we got to maintain that joy in the walk. The worship and doctrine of the Trinity belong together. It's 
for it's godly thinking of God in unrestrained awe and adoration of his unfathomable triune nature that we must guide, guide us toward any formulation of, of doctrine in terms of him. Is it up there? Yes. I took this really short verse, which was written at the very end of the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And I just, I'm amazed by it. And if you read this, now it says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Hallelujah. Actually, the word may is not in there. All the other translations don't have it. And the reason they don't is Paul wrote this as a statement of fact for us to realize. So let's reread it without the word may. Listen how it changes again. It says, the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Fact. A triune relationship with different aspects all pulled together into who God is. We see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love that's manifested in his life, the love of the Father. And so this verse, for me at least, encapsulates the essentially Christian concept of God. The first thing I saw is it constitutes the ultimate evangelical expression of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, for his sakes became poor, that through his poverty we became rich. Oh, yeah. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It expresses the love of the Father, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for, for us all. And it is in that personal sacrifice of the Father to which everything in the gospel goes and is held together. That love of the Father. And the communion of the Holy Spirit, through whom and in whom we are made to participate in the eternal communion of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are united with one another in the redeemed life of the people of God. Through Christ and in the Spirit, God communed himself to us in such a wonderful way that we really and actually know him and have communion with him in his inner life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in communion has brought all of this together. It's brought heaven on earth and brought us from earth into heaven. Everything depends on how the Holy Spirit is, is sort of the mortar of the bricks that brings it all together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's a face-to-face -face expression of eternity. And that always was and has returned again and always will be. But in that moment of our, after we had fallen, where God says, you will go to them. And Jesus willingly then became poor to go. And the Holy Spirit was in this, circling in the love, and was taking and carrying this so that Jesus at his baptism, we saw the union come together of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Son at his baptism where he didn't need to be baptized, but baptized on our behalf, where the Holy Spirit came on him and the Father spoke, this is my Son in whom I'm most pleased. That that union of heaven was expressed on earth. That's just something that's so powerful and special that we can never walk away from that. To know that what was in heaven has come on earth and that the kingdom is here.
And so as we look at the Trinity, we can't look that Jesus came and everybody else stood as spectators because all of the Trinity came on earth through Jesus Christ because of the communion of the Spirit. And so we have the Spirit in us, so we have the Trinity in us. If, if, it, it's staggering when you look at it. it. It's really kind of hard to look at it and say that. But it, here's what's interesting. God doesn't just appear to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for he really is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is not the appearance of God as Trinity. That's the essence of who God is in Trinity. I took it more of an appearance. Here's how God presents himself to us as Trinity instead of being Trinity. That's God. And God loves us more than we love ourselves. That's important, an important part of the Trinity. We must understand who, that who God is for us is the God of the God self. That the God, we can't come to learn that God is some abstract essence or a, a dynamic personal being, but God is who he is in the act of his revelation and the act is what he is in his being. And so, what you can never separate, in other words, the acts of God from the person of God. And so that's part of how he reveals himself. Creation is an incredible revelation of the character and the nature of God. But the God as, as creator also is a revelation of God. It's kind of confusing, but it's what he does is what he is. See, we don't always play that because we're not perfect. So sometimes what we do is not exactly our character. Sometimes we filter things. God, what he does is the very nature of what God is. And that's really why the, the cross is an open window into the heart of, of God. It, 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 in the cross, you really think about the utterly astonishing nature of love. That God, I mean, God is love that's been fully disclosed in refusing to spare his own son. He refused to spare his own son. Last week, we kind of discussed the risk of the incarnation. There was a real risk there uh, on the part of God. The son entered into an anti-God world, our world, took up our fallen, rebellious humanity as his own. Hebrews 4.15 even says, Jesus was tempted in all things as we are. So it's being tempted from the point of fallenness. And, and so have no illusions that Jesus lived a struggle-free life from the standpoint of temptation of sin. The Son of God fought from within our fallen existence to maintain an essential bond he shared with his Father in the Holy Spirit. That very relationship makes God God was at risk. Had Jesus failed in sin, the very nature of God could have been shattered. And we oftentimes forget, when we look at John 3.16, the most powerful verse, we always hear it. It's the most profound verse possibly in the Bible, but it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we oftentimes put our focus on Jesus with those words. That's a description of the Father. 
God so loved the world that he was willing to give up his son, not to judge us. How many people think the Father can't wait to judge you? That if you misstep, the Father, God's watching you, but with a tisk 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 instead of a, oh honey, you, you slipped, let me help you. We don't realize he came here not to condemn the world, but to save the world through his son. So he said, he sent his son to say, go save these people that, I, that we created. That save the let us creation. That we want to be bonded with them in eternity. And he sent the son from the face to face of eternity. And we sometimes forget that the father loves us. And it's the depth of the father's love is more than we love ourselves. It's astonishing. And it can only be seen through the Trinity, through the spirit revealing Jesus who was sent by the father. The nature of the Trinity is so Christian, it's unbelievable. And we, we almost overlook the very nature of the Christian faith. Communion of the Trinity is essential. When we call the Father the Father and the Son the Son, we don't do this in just a the, you know, theological way. We don't just indicate God by the works of God, but we describe the very God when we say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is not a name we apply to God, but to God's own self-revelation. That's how God revealed himself. Jesus prayed, our Father. In the Bible, you don't see Father referring to God before Jesus reveals his Father with the word Father. We never hear Abba referring to the Father until Jesus says it. Jesus was here to reveal the Father. The Holy Spirit has come. Who Jesus says, is, when you think about their loving, Jesus loves the Spirit so much, he goes, he's greater than I. You can be way better off than with me. I'm saying the Holy Spirit. So what's the Holy Spirit do? Comes to reveal the Son. Let him do his work sometime. Let him reveal the Son to you. Yeah. And as the Son comes into focus, what happens? The Son reveals the Father. And you come into a, a union of the Trinity. And you see how that the Father, without the Son and the Spirit, is not the Father. You see that the Son, without the Father and the Spirit, is not the Son. And the Spirit, without the Father and the Son, is not the Spirit. It's a unity that they're all there. So when you see Jesus, there's a heart that surrounds him of the father and son that's there but Jesus is Jesus too and here's where the mystery is how's that happen if Jesus is Jesus but that's it's cool let's walk in it but I do know this as we talked about last last week the father and the son are in union in all things there's no separation there's no difference there are one thought one mind they agree completely in all things. So all of heaven has come to an agreement on you, Rick. Yes, I. I mean, there's no question of whether, the, whether Jesus loves you, but the Father still, hmm, we're coming back to you later. No, they've all come in agreement for you. You know how I know that agreement has happened? Jesus died for you. The agreement's been already made. 
That's agreement for everyone. Every single person that you walk up to has already been saved by Christ, but they have to come to Christ and say, I receive it. Jesus already died for them. The history's already been done. So we so, so many times, we want to force people to say, you can't come to Christ until you straighten up your act. I know of churches that won't allow sinners, quote unquote, in their churches. Oh, this guy, he's a, he's a mess. Maybe you really shouldn't come to our church. Instead, that's one beautiful thing about the vineyard. The more messed up you are, the more you're right with us. So, What I love, though, about the Trinity, each is intrinsically who he is for the other two. They're, they're always for the other two. And so they co-inhere, you know, by not, it's, it's such a dynamic communion. It's, it's exciting. You see it over and over in the Bible. Have you ever noticed almost every one of Paul's doxologies, where that's where he kind of finishes something or pauses for prayer, you see the Father, Son, and Spirit, every single one of them. The most famous ones, the small ones. The reason I took a small one was to see how easy it is to see all three in one little sentence. I just, the other part is they're just not known for their individual characteristics. They're part of the, they're a part of our Godness. They're distinctive, but they're one. And that's amazing. Here's another thing though, there's where my biggest weakness with the Trinity was. I try to take them and make them distinct and then press them into one. I put them in a God compactor and then came out a little cube and there's my Trinity. And instead it's, it's God, triune God. From that we discover three, the three parts. And so that's what I'm talking about, the picture that gets flopped upside down. And it, it just, this is not something that you can read a book and go, oh, yeah, I got it. But you can spend time in God, and he will give it to you. I'm just saying it's the only way you'll, it will come to you. And then as it comes, it's amazing. And then you read God's word, and like, it's so dynamic and powerful of the being of our God. It has to be. If I understand God, he's not too great. I only have a small brain. I mean, Einstein can't figure out God. I, see, I'm not going to even try. But the other part, though, is God is love. Through the coming of Jesus Christ into the world as the only begotten Son, loved by the Father, and the love that flows eternally, the, the Holy Trinity has crashed on us in history. It's just right into us and made known to us all the sacrificial love of Jesus laying down his life for us. In ascending of Jesus to heaven, the, the love of God is embodied among us in him. I, we're going to spend more time on Jesus next week, but what's happened is Jesus is love, and he translates, if you will, our expressions of love, and then intercedes for us to the Father. Now, why, is it, why am I saying he translates it? Because we sometimes don't know what to pray about. And when we pray, it's incomplete. It's broken and fragmented, just like we are. 
And then Jesus picks up those pieces and knows, ah, oh, I know right what you're thinking. And then delivers that to the Father. And, but we're forgetting the other part, though, is he then takes what the Father's response is. And the heavenly response of the, the union of the Trinity gives it to the Holy Spirit to give back to us. The response always comes back to us. And so that's when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Sometimes you don't know you're praying when you're praying. It even says the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf in groans sometimes. You may see someone you go, oh, I really should be praying for that person. But you know, in essence, you already have. God's already moving, waiting for you now to receive his response and have this to say to them. That's where we mess up. <laughs> but God will find a way to get that to them. But, that's, but we miss out on it. Because what happens is when we participate, you don't really understand how your faith is changed by this. If you ever have a down day and you're really having trouble with your faith, go proclaim it. It sounds like an odd thing, but start doing when you can't do it. The Holy Trinity can't wait for you to do this. Because heaven rejoices. You know how it says heaven rejoices when one person comes to Christ? They, they, heaven rejoices when one person confirms the worth and the value of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross by moving in that to someone else. That's when heaven really gets excited. And the God of love is released for us in the Trinity. And that that love is identical with the love which is the essence of the Trinity. So what, is, what the love that's been given for us is, a lesson, is the essence of the love that's in the Trinity. And we can't miss this. It's, it, um, this tells us that the love is the same love that he loves himself. God's the only person that can completely love others and completely love himself. And he, he expresses that to us. John 17, I think everybody loves that priestly prayer in John 17. When Jesus, this is shortly before he's about to die and he's praying, to, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now start off praying for the apostles, so it's not for them alone. Now he's talking about us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I want you to really hear this. This is, this is profound. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. They have, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to, to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The last part of the Trinity then is, who are we? Coming to an understanding of God's personal being in light of the Trinity as an interrelated form of a person really defines what it is for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be persons. It also redefines how human beings are meant to be persons. Even, as, even though this is rarely how we see personhood, but the Trinity is a picture of humanity. 
in, perfect, in a perfect place. We're persons not in isolation from one another, but, in our, but our very personhood is constituted by the relationships we keep. I'm not a human being in isolation from others. I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a friend. Some of you are fathers and mothers. Those relationships are your personhood. I would not be who I am without these relationships for they constitute my identity as a human being. The dynamic unity of the spirit and love may reveal our, in our Christ-likeness as image makers of God's triune love in the unity of the spirit and love. That our unity that Jesus is praying for here is part of our image makers as Christ-likeness is our unity. The unity of our body of Christians is an expression of Trinity. That's a really hard thing to get capture sometimes, but that's why it's always one body. It's not the bodies of Christ, plural. Just like it's not the names of the, I baptize you in the names, plural. It's the name, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a unity that's meant to be in us. Those kind of ramifications would make, uh, I mean, that'd make a huge, enormous change in our social structures. I mean, if we really understood personhood in terms of our relation to others and not merely in terms of our relation to ourselves, we might learn to love our neighbors again and see the bigger picture that no human being lives in isolation and that the suffering of some is a burden for all. The important lesson is that we cannot define personhood through our fallen existence, unfortunately. But we must let God redefine personhood according to God's identity of being. And in that identity is a triune God living in community in unity. It's from the center of God that we must discover what true personhood looks like. This Thus, as God is love within the Trinity and expressed by his outpouring in creation, he fulfills the identity given to us by Christ at the cross in his resurrection and as our intercessor by his ascension. We must enter into the indwelling of the unity of the Godhead to be expressed as love as one. And as we come into the unity of the Trinity in our expression of love, then we come, our reflection of the Trinity as image makers is oneness. I'm not, I'm not utopian, and I know that we struggle with our unity. But at the very, very least, the body of Christ should be one. At the very, very least. But I just, I'm, uh, when I, the more I look at this, I keep seeing where, how weak I am at this. I'm stunned by the magnitude that Jesus is ex asking us to express. That as soon as one person feels out of sorts, feels down, feels left out even, that should be a rallying cry to us to re-include, lift up, and pray. And too many times, every pew is my, I know we all kind of seat, sit in the same place, but that becomes my seat, not our seat. We, you know, how many people went to church for a while before you said, 
that's my church. And then as it becomes my church, the church is the people. It's not a location, it's not a structure, it's the people. So when we look at the Trinity and how one is not really the, the same without the others, how are we reflecting that as each of us is not the same without the others? And that's why we grieve together when we've lost one because we lost something that was part of us. That's why we're joyful when we see new people stop in because we have new members as a part of us. Now, when I say members, I'm not talking about that you signed up and said, okay, I promise to come to your church. By members, it's membership in a community that is giving praise and worship to the same God that has included us in his unity. And so that's the essence of our faith in Christianity. That's the Trinity. I'm going to read one last one. I didn't give her a slide for it, but you heard it once before already. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over, over all and through all and in all. That little tiny thing had seven ones for alls. One for all. So I guess my conclusion is, if we look at the Holy Spirit, the more we come to see the dynamic of the Trinity, the more we see how the Trinity means for us to be dynamic among each other. And I honestly can tell you this, as I've gotten to know each of you more and more and more, when I first came to this church, I was extremely isolated. Certain parts of our lives sometimes isolate us. And as you get to know other people and develop relationships, you start to let some of those barriers down and you become less isolated. And that's what, how Revelation of the Holy Spirit's able to reach me because I don't live in isolation, so I'm not looking through a lens of isolation. I can now look at the lens of the unity of the Holy Spirit to read every word of the gospel. And then look at when Jesus says, you know, take care of orphans and, and widows. And I understand what that means as part of a community of all of us. And so it's a different way of looking at it. I know that that I haven't spent much time with the, the food uh, drive because I was in seminary stuff and I was always on that on Sunday for the most part. But I'm, I'm going to let you know that's one of those expressions. Yes. That when you come to just this church and you give worship and we hear one voice, same words, one God being worshiped, you don't think that God wants to pour right back down into you revelation from the one God, three persons into each of us. Let's always be in, in, in a conscious reading now of the Trinity. When you see Jesus as a baby in a manger, crying, and then we say the Trinity is there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of heaven is witness to this. And the angels are in the skies proclaiming his name. That every little baby that's crying has another proclamation being made from heaven to us. And that, that's, how we, that's how we are as humans. 
our humanity is so more precious and so more unified and so more intertwined. That's why the shock of Cain and Abel is stunning. The result of the fall was a loss of unity. And we have been born again. And so in our newness of Christ-likeness, we can restore that unity. My last little comment, and, and then, then we're going to let the, the worship team probably sing Father, I think. Kind of sound like a good one. Um, whichever one you want, I don't care. You're the worship leader. Um, I want us to really concentrate on where our weaknesses are in this thing. I'm really weak in a lot of areas. And so let us become really attuned to the sensitivities of, the other, of our other people. Let us hear Jesus' voice speak through us. Let us know that every single one is included. And as goofy and quirky and as each and every one of us are, that, that can be a link. It may take a while to get to know somebody. But it, it's never a reason to say, oh, I can't get along with that person. Because that's a decision you've made. That's not a, that's not a, uh, a fact. So just understand that. So, Father, we're just going to ask that as this music is playing, and, and we're, we're going to really try to do ministry with one another. We're going to ask that we come to someone that maybe we just haven't told that we appreciate, and let them know that today. Let someone know that I'm glad that you come every Sunday to see us. Father, we're just so thankful. There's so many people that are on vacation right now that and I just wish that we could, their touch, we could touch their heart right now, but we're going to ask, Lord, interconnect us with our spirits. Bring us closer and closer so that we reflect you. That like the Romans wrote, we, they just were stunned by the love and the unity of that new crazy church. That we're they all know, everyone knows why you came. That, we, that everyone knows that you sent Jesus. And you've loved us as you've loved Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.